take your Bibles to the book of Mark. We're just walking our way through the story of Jesus. They were going through a difficult time when Mark wrote this. and It's the first gospel for them to receive as they're running and hiding in oppositions everywhere. And they knew Jesus from stories. They knew him from the being passed on. They, uh, Peter and all of them would go around and say the, 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 what Jesus did and how he changed lives and how he raised the dead and how he preached the gospel and he told the parables. And he, he would tell them all of these things. But when Mark sat down after meeting with Peter and everything that he observed and the Holy Spirit of God, through the inspiration of Scripture, used him to sit down and pen those words And he opened up the gospel in such a powerful way of just simply bragging about who Jesus was. And we explained how simple it was. The beginning of the gospel, he said, I'm going to tell you some good news. That's what gospel is. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. Christ signifying that he was the anointed Messiah that would come and change the world. That there be no one like him. That he was the son of God. But how he starts this gospel is so unique. How he begins to unveil and teach who Jesus was. And the very steps that Jesus began to take. As they begin to unfold and unveil the very first gospel ever written. In the book of Mark. I'm going to tell you guys right now. I'm just, I'm just going to lay it out. I have no illustrations to put up. I have nobody to bring up on the stage. I have no videos to play. I, I have no stories to tell except this one. And it's not that I'm not trying to make application because the, the gospel speaks for itself of the application that we're about to make. And, and, and honestly, if, if you know me, I, I like to illustrate things. I like to tie it in. And the more I got into it, the more God told me to take that stuff out. Jesus declares himself In Mark chapter 2, verse 10, when he was speaking, he says that you may know that the Son of Man hath the power on earth to forgive sins. Son of Man. Mark introduced him as the Son of God. Jesus comes back and introduces himself as the Son of Man. Now this ties into the virgin birth of the fact that we needed a Savior, but he had to be man. Because if he was God, he couldn't die. He was man. He couldn't live. We've got this problem here. The fact that Jesus had to die on the cross to pay the payment of his sins because the wages of sin is death. If nobody died, then the payment wouldn't be done. And in order for it to be paid for, it had to be sinless, which means that it had to come from God. So so Jesus is 100% God and he's 100% man. And you say, Pastor Tony, explain that. I can't. Our minds can't wrap around that. But I I can tell you, in every aspect of the temptation, he felt it. When he died on the cross and they nailed him to the cross, he felt it. He went through sorrow. He went through sadness. When when Lazarus died, the Bible says that he said, Lazarus, come forth. That is the the deity of God in in the flesh of Jesus. The power of him in that moment. But rewind. When Jesus walked into the situation and he said that Lazarus had died, he wept. He gets you. He gets me. 
Jesus was not only coming to die on the cross, he was teaching us how to live. We, we, we understand what he went through. We understand the fact that he was tempted, that he was tried. He went through all these things. And so the, the beginning of this passage begins to tell us just the mission of Jesus. And I promise if you come next week, I'll, I'll, we'll get into more of the application, the storytelling, and the, 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 how it combines. But right now, I, I'm really just going to lay out for you just ex- teaching it verse by verse as we go through this. Because he says in Mark chapter 1, verse 2, as it is written of the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. We know that the, the, the messenger was John the Baptist. He was... Uh, going all the way back when Mary found out that she was going to have a child and said, also your cousin who was Elizabeth, who was older, and her husband was Zachariah, and Zachariah was in the temple, and, and, and God told him, and he questioned I, that I'm going to have a child. And he went out, and he came out mute. He couldn't speak. And then it, it was veiled to him that he would be the forerunner of Jesus Christ, and they called him John. And he was John the baptizer because he was going to demonstrate to them their need of God in this visual way. And describes himself as not, I am the son of Zechariah, I am, I am the anointed one, or anything like that is this priestly heritage that he had. But he says in verse 3, I am just a voice of one crying in the wilderness. I I am nobody. I am not the message. I am simply the messenger. I get to tell you the good news. He was the forerunner. As Jesus was about to come on the earth, this crazy man, and I mean literally crazy man. If people think you're crazy for Jesus, just take it as a compliment. John the Baptist would not be allowed in most churches today. He, he, He wore... Camel's hair, and the Bible describes him as a wild man that ate locusts and honey. He, just, he was a wild man that lived in the woods. And he'd come out and preach in this gospel. But you say, then how did God use him so much? Because he was touched by God. That's what makes all the difference. And the Bible says, and John did baptize in the wilderness and preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. His message that he preached was the fact that you need to repent and be forgiven of sins. If you want to know the main message that I'm preaching today is just if you're going to talk about Jesus, you need to know that he is the savior of the only one that can save you from sins. That's it. So often as you get uh, talking into the story, you'll find out that they begin to run after him to be healed or run after him to be fed or run after him to be touched or blessed or whatever. The gospel of Jesus Christ isn't about just what he'll do for you and your humanitarian needs. And then chapter 2 and verse, the, the beginning of that story in verses 1 through the, the rest of that story, verse like 17, he begins to unveil and tell them the fact that you're going to come after me for what I can give you, but the greatest thing that I can give you is eternal life. And I know we came here today and you're saying, I just need to be encouraged and I promise you the word of God will never return void and I need to be blessed and I tell you the word of God will always bless But the greatest message I can give you that you're going to hear today is the fact that you're a sinner, but you can be saved by grace. That is it. And that's what this whole story begins. He began to preach the baptism of repentance for the remission or the forgiveness of sins. And then went on to him on the land of Judea and, and, and they of Jerusalem. And they were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, I know this can get confusing. You say, why is that confusing? Because we know what baptism is. We did it in the first service. People walk in there and it represents the fact that we believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross. 
We believe that he was buried, that he rose again. So the baptism represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And after we receive Jesus Christ, we step into the water to symbolize or identify or testify of the fact that I believe that Jesus did all of those things and I, I identify with Christ. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. So why is that confusing? He had not died. He would not gone to the cross. Back then, baptism actually was introduced in other ways. If somebody was a Gentile and they want to be converted to Judaism, they, they would have to do uh, a number of things and rituals that they'd have to go through. They'd have to memorize things. They'd have to uh, go through the process of this. And one of the things that they'd have to do is they had to be baptized. It was a symbolism of passing from one life to the other or returning on their, their life to another. It symbolized being purified the word uh, baptism in the Bible isn't always just referencing the fact of being dunked in water. It means to be immersed. When we talk about being baptized in the Spirit of God, it literally means that I am covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is where salvation comes from. It doesn't come from water. If, you, if you're relying on the water, you're going to get in there as a wet center and come out. No, you're going to go in as a dry center and come out as a wet center. That's, what, that's the only thing that's going to happen. That water came from a hose that does not have the power to save you. Only Jesus Christ. These people were showing up on this day by a new wave, a new movement, a new change that was happening. And this was the John the Baptist preaching the gospel, beating this drum that the Messiah was about to come and that you are a sinner and you need to be saved. So they, they, these Jews that were not converting from being a Jew to a Jew because they were already a Jew, they were stepping in the water confessing, I am a sinner, I am lost, and I need Jesus. John is in this water, says they're confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of, of, of skin about his loins. And he did eat locusts of wild honey, just proving to us from the very beginning that God will use anybody. <laughs> Say, I don't have the look. I, I tell you, as long as you have Jesus, you have everything that you need. And he preached saying, there cometh one mightier than I after me in the latchet of his shoes. He said, I can't even tie his shoes. I'm not even worthy to stoop down at his feet and tie his shoes. Or buckle the, the latch on his sandal, whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. He was prophesying of what's going to happen and the fact that he's about to change everything. And at that time, they didn't fully understand what it meant. All they knew was they were going to get Jesus, so they were going to be changed by this message that they were preaching. And then this is when everything changed. Jesus walks up. Now, John was doing this. He, this was his ministry. He was going about baptizing, and people would get around, and he'd preach this message to them. And he's this crazy man. And maybe some of them came out just for entertainment value. Like, man, you got to hear this crazy guy. He's the baptizer. He brings people in, and they talk about their sins. He dunks them. They come out, and they start praising Jesus as they do this. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came for the Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John and the Jordan. Now we have a, a, another weird thing. Okay, I understand them confessing their sins, but why Jesus? You say, why Jesus? Well, let me just remind you, Jesus had no sin. He wasn't a sinner. Jesus didn't need to be saved. He didn't need to convert. He didn't need to be purified. 
Jesus was doing this in a, as a, a, a symbolism of so much for us to learn in Matthew 3, uh, verse 14. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and thou comest to me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Suffer it be so now, for thus it becometh uh, to fulfill all righteousness. Now you got to get the picture. you got to understand when, when he walks down in the water and John introduces him in the book of John, he says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He was introducing him literally as a solution. As they were walking in the water, and I, and I don't know how it is, uh, Pastor Matt did it in the first service and talking about their testimony and who they are. And maybe John's standing there and say, this is, this is so-and-so. And he came today to admit to all of us that he is a sinner and he's confessing his sins before all of us. And I baptize you now in the, the purified, the fact that you're acknowledging this before everybody. And as he's doing that, this next guy comes in and, and he's wading out in the water and it's Jesus and he comes up to him and John has this heart to heart. It says in Matthew, like, I can't, I can't baptize you. I, that's what he says. He says, uh, you should be baptizing me. Let's turn this around. You baptize me, not me baptize you. And Jesus withstood him and said, no, I have to be baptized. You've got to understand this was for a number of reasons. Number one, he was the son of man. He came to be our, 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 take our place. The cross is symbolic of the fact that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, then he rose again. And I identify with that. But Jesus was prophetically saying in that moment, as sinners were lying up and lining up saying, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. He was not a sinner, but he was coming to take our place to die for us. He was coming to take our place. He said, I have to do this. Symbolizing obedience to the Father. Symbolizing that He, that, that, that as, a, as, a, as becoming sin for us who knew no sin. It's also pointing back to the Old Testament that the priests had to be baptized. It was symbolic of what they did. Jesus was in that moment fulfilling prophecy that He was becoming our high priest. That he was stepping in that position to go between us and God, to have the anointing of God on his life, to be able to have the authority to do that. Now you've got to understand, why do we even need to be saved? Because a relationship is broken between us and God. How did that happen? Well, it goes all the way back to the beginning of what? A temptation that the first Adam had with Satan in the garden. And he put doubt in his mind. Began to question things. And say, yea, hath God said that you will not surely die. He began to question things. you got to understand, God's coming in this moment to confront all of these things that were happening in this moment. There was, that because of that, there was separation between them and God. They were removed from the garden. But when Jesus came out of the water, something happened symbolizing the obedience to the Father. Because God sent His Son in the world not to condemn the world, but the world through Him might be saved. Now what happened when Jesus came out of the water? What, after, what happened after he symbolized the purification or the obedience to the Father or the fact that he was coming to die for our sins to bring us new life? The Bible said, and straightway coming out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. The Spirit of God coming down on him. It says, like as a dove. It's not saying that it was a dove. It was like a, representing the Spirit of God. So let, let me show you. Just break this down. Is, is what Jesus was coming as he, we read these first verses in the book of Mark. He came to confront sin. 
the greatest need that we have in our lives and all the things that we start begin to preach about. And Jesus has this problem that he's dealing with as he's helping people that they would run and tell everybody. Have you ever thought how weird it is when he would do something great? He would say, shh, go tell, don't tell anybody. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like the, the leper in this next couple of verses, he gets healed and he goes and tells everybody. It's going to be hard not to tell everybody when you were dying and now you're going to live. The woman, with, well, we, we talked about that on Wednesday night, about how she went out and she dropped her water pots, pots and she went into the city and she said, come see a man that told me everything that I've ever did. But there's a problem with that. Everybody that comes seeking after Jesus was seeking after what he would do for them, not the fact that they needed him. In the world around us, if we're not careful, we begin to preach a social gospel that Jesus will fix your problems, that we're not preaching the fact that you're dying and you need Jesus to save you from your sins. That's right. You want to know why I, I, I just asked God to make this message different today? Because the only thing I want to lift up is the fact that Jesus came to save sinners. And we're all dying and going to hell without Jesus Christ. Sin separated us from God when Jesus Christ was showing the symbolism of obedience, the voice of heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He came to obey the Father. He came to restore what was broken. He came to redeem the lost. And the Father was pleased by this. They need to be forgiven. And everyone that walked in there, they said that they were doing that as symbolism of the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus was symbolizing that moment that God was pleased with the, the, the sacrifice that God would give them through the death of his son. As a result of that, Jesus walked out of that water different. Symbolizing the anointing of God that in his life to be able to do the ministry that God gave him. This was the beginning of his public ministry as he got in this. He is God, but he's also giving us a model to follow. Now, I'm going to show you. He came in his baptism to show that he came to confront sin. As our high priest, as our substitute, as, as walking into the water, the death, burial, and resurrection. But notice the second thing that he does. When I say second thing, I'm not joking. When I say the next thing that happened, read with me as it says this. He came to confront the enemy. And the Bible says, and immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. Immediately. Why is this happening? If you go back to Genesis, it's because we were attacked by somebody that was greater than us. If you go back to the beginning, it's because man, instead of submitting to God, began to submit and listen to the voice of the enemy. You talk about a problem and a conflict. And you, you know, if you were here last week, I talked about how God in the Old Testament projected and predicted. He said, one day through the seed, through the, the, through the humanity of man, through the, the son of man, he said, I'm going to send somebody that is going to crush your head. That's what he told Satan. You talk about the enemy that had to be confronted. Now, if you read the other Gospels, the other Gospels are going to talk to you about how when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, you know what he went out there to do? To fast and pray. And, and let me tell you, that's exactly what he did. Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days. You want breakthroughs? You want to see what God can do? Don't take out prayer out of your life. Don't take fasting out of your life. Don't take seeking God out of your life and think that you can have victory. You can't have victory without seeking after God. You can't. And if America is in a mess, and we talk about praising God for America and our freedom today, and I thank God, God bless America. Let me just say, God has blessed America. 
But the blessings come through God's people seeking an almighty God. It's God. America's only blessed because we have the hand of God on our life. When we don't have the hand of God on our nation, we will fall apart like every other nation that's rejected God. So what does God do? And immediately the Spirit driveth him to the wilderness. And there in the wilderness, 40 days, tempted of Satan who's with, with the wild beasts and the angels ministered unto him. You say, how is it even possible that Satan could come and even tempt Jesus? Because in this moment, he was 100% God and 100% man. The Bible explains, and, and I'm prayerfully I'm going to get into this next week as we talk about it. The Bible describes Jesus as being the second Adam or the last Adam. If you go back and you have this comparison... You, you go back to the first Adam. The first Adam was the one that, that man was born to and brought sin into the world. Jesus is described as the last Adam that will, was born to bring sin out of the world. Now just think about the parallels of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, confronted by Satan versus what Adam and Eve had. Talking about through the power of God what we can do when we walk in the Spirit of God. That's what Jesus was saying to us. Just so you guys know, well, he was Jesus. Of course he pushed back, say, he was Jesus, but he still used the power of the Word of God to confront. If you go into math and you'll see that. He rebuked him with the Word of God. He was standing fast in the Spirit of God, praying and fasting and rejecting his flesh to do this. But Jesus was proving to us, Satan doesn't have to win in our lives. And the whole time that Jesus is in the wilderness, he's being tempted of Satan. Satan doesn't have power over you. The idea of saying, and this is a lie, and we all say it, Satan made me do it. That is a lie. Satan has no authority over you to make you do anything. That's why in the garden, he came up and he questioned God. He, He had no authority to, he didn't pick off the fruit and stick it in their mouth saying, try this. But a lot of times when we fall in the sin, oh, I'm so sorry, I, I, Satan made me do it. He did not make you do it. You just listened to the wrong voice. If you go back to Adam and Eve, they stood there together in the garden. Jesus stood alone. If you go back to the garden, they were filled with food that they were allowed to eat anything in the garden. But they chose wrong. You go to the wilderness, and there was nothing to eat. It was barren. Do you see the comparison? But Satan slithers up in that and begins to tempt his flesh. Let me tell you why the Bible describes in Mark that Jesus was driven into the wilderness to be tempted of Satan. It goes right to the fact of that. It goes right to, it doesn't say, and he fasted 40 days and 40 nights and tempted him to turn the rocks into bread and all that other stuff. And all that is true. But Mark was given the idea. And if I was to put it like this, Jesus came, he was baptized. He was the forerunner to confront sin because they were all lined up to be sent. And then Jesus was driven right to the, right to the wilderness to confront the enemy to say, your reign is done. Your reign is done. And that confrontation that he had of Satan to be tempted, tried, tested, however you want to word it. Those, that word tempted means all of the above was the fact that Satan was going to go after him, but he was going to lose. He wasn't going to just lose then, he was going to lose at the end as well. Amen. The Bible describes Satan as the God of this world. Just, you, just so you guys know, we're on enemy territory. You are on enemy territory. Every single day of your life, when you say, life is so hard, yes, it's hard, we're in enemy territory. The, the reason why most of the time that life is so hard because we live like life is so easy because 
We, we, we just want all the blessings and the perks of life, not understanding that we're on enemy territory and he's out to rip your face off. It's the absolute truth. Tempted as Satan in the, in the wilderness. The Bible says in Hebrews 5.14, you say, why was that? For, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He was not only confronting our enemy, but he was giving the illustration to us that we can rebuke the voice of Satan. And his voice is loud. And it places doubts in our minds. In the lost, I truly believe, for those that are lost, he whispers into them, is there really a hell? Does church really matter? Were you truly created by God? If you've had any of these thoughts in your mind, let me just tell you, that did not come from God. We have an enemy. He whispered into the ear of Jesus and he whispered into Adam. That is his plan of attack. I know this. We'll walk into the hospital tomorrow to sit down for waiting for them to click on that computer and they're clicking and they're making these faces and these noises and we're waiting for them to turn to say, oh, it's gotten better or, oh, I'm sorry, it's gotten worse. Do you know the battle walking up to that? And I know that all the other people that are my friends that are going through these things right now, it's all up here. The only way that we're ever going to push back the enemy of this world to do the ministry that God's called us to is you've got to learn to walk in the spirit and deny your flesh. If your flesh is in control, you're going to, win, you're going to lose to the devil every single day. And I hear people say, oh, I don't understand. In the world that we live in today, I feel like Satan is constantly winning. That's because Christians are constantly walking in the flesh. Or, yeah, absolutely walking in the flesh. But things are different now. Satan knew that his kingdom here on this earth was being threatened, that his reign was coming to an end. No wonder the spiritual warfare begins to spread as God began to raise up Jesus to go into now to preach and to recruit the, uh, the, the, the disciples and to make a difference in the world. He began to stir up the Sadducees and the Pharisees and began to work in Judas's heart and mind, began to do all that because there was a war that was breaking out on the earth because Jesus came to make things different. Now after John was put into prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. So Jesus came to confront sin. Did that at the beginning. Jesus came to confront our enemy. He did that in the wilderness. And now Jesus begins to start a movement. I, I want you guys to understand that Jesus did not come to build a church. You know, he did come to build a church. Don't get me wrong. He said, upon this rock I will build my church. But not the church that we know of today. Jesus never, the disciples didn't come along one day and go, what are you doing? And he was out there painting the steeple, okay? That's not how it happened. And I think for a lot of times, our mindset when it comes to the mission of God is we need to get people to go to church and I need to go to church. Let me tell you, you do need to get people to come to church and you do need to go to church yourself. But that's not the mission. It's so much bigger than that. Jesus was about to start a movement of change that was going to rock this world. He was about to call people that were going to be part of something that is alive. The church is a living body of Jesus Christ, not brick and mortar. You want to know why in a week from now that we're going to have Bible school and fill this place full of kids? Because we're a movement that's going to go out and reach kids. 
And as this world is so rocked by sin and confusion and everything around us, we're not going to sit in a building and wait for people to come visit us. We're going to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is what Jesus is doing in this passage. He's going to start a movement. It was time for change. He was going to dethrone Satan. He was going to start something that was going to be different. The Bible says in verse 18, And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me. We talked about it. He was the Messiah. He was anointed by God to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance of the captives, and the recovering of the sight to the blind, and set at liberty those that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That was the movement that he was doing. He was going to run to every captive and, and, and just hold on with me because I'm telling you, we're gonna about to do this. Jesus was constantly going over here and confronting the maniac of Gadara. Jesus is running over here and he's confronting the people that were bound in sin. He's running over here and he begins to have dinner with sinners. Dinner with sinners. But he's starting a movement. He's stirring hearts. He's opening eyes. He begins to preach the gospel. Since after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Why does it say the gospel of the kingdom? Because he's about to say, hey, the goodness of heaven is about to come to earth. And it was represented in the Messiah. Now we get to the first words in red. Jesus is about to speak for the first time in the book of Mark. He goes public. He opens his mouth and this is what he says in saying the time is fulfilled. Oh, that's, that's, not, that's not a big deal. Okay, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Okay. But we've got to go deeper with this. Because if you just take it as face value, the Bible was written in the New Testament was written in Greek. So a lot of words that we read today, like love, if you get into God's love, it's agape love, which is way deeper than our kind of love. It's unconditional love. It never stops. It never fails. So the word time, when he said, my time has come, when he said that, it was literally not the word chronos, which is normally used in the Bible, which is a segment of time. It's about time you get here. We're going to meet at this time. It's talking about a segment of time. This word is much different. It's kairos. It's a particular significant thing that happens in history that changes things. It is the same thing as we use today when we talk about the difference between something being historical and historic. Historical things are when they signed the Constitution, when we declared our freedom, when, 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 when they stormed Normandy, and all these different things. That's all historical things. But let me tell you, when they bombed Pearl Harbor, that was historic. Things shifted on that day. Something happened on that day. When they, when they attacked us on 9-11, that was historic. Something big was about to happen and change. It was historic. The first words in Mark out of Jesus' mouth when he said that, he said something historic is about to happen. I'm about to change everything in this world. The first words of Jesus. That Greek word for fulfilled in that passage right there doesn't mean just to fill. In, in a lot of the passages, when you have different words of the Greek, it means to fill, to fill, to fill. That word literally means to run over. That God is going to work in lives and God's going to change lives and God's going to do things that man could not even imagine. But the rest of that, when Jesus was preaching and teaching this, he says these words. Repent. Repent. 
believe the gospel. That's my message today. That's Jesus' message. I can't, I can't illustrate that. I, I, I can't tell a story to top that. All I can tell you is this. That if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, if you've never come to the point in your life where you know that you are lost, the only hope to change your life, to experience the fullness of God or the touch of heaven, the kingdom of God coming to the earth, the only way to experience the good news that is different than all the bad news in this world is to repent, which is literally a change of direction. The fact that I am lost and I'm heading to hell and when God gets a hold of my heart, I respond to the gospel. This is repenting right here. This is a change of direction. And you call, out, you call out to God and say, I want what you have, and I need who you are. So the gospel is simple today. Here's the good news of Jesus Christ. We're all lined up, walking into that baptism pool, walking into that lake, walking into the Jordan. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. If I have to list the sins that I have, I'll be here all day because I am a sinner. And one day they felt a tug on their shoulder pushing them back for a minute. And Jesus walks down in that water and says, this time baptize me because I'm about to change the world. Of movement. God is about to start this movement of change in the book of Mark. Are you ready for it? So what does he do? Oh, it's not what you think. Because the way that he begins to start this movement in the world was begin to call fishermen and blue-collar workers and go to the nobodies and the rejects of this world and says, come with me, and I'm going to transform you into something you never thought you would ever be. That is the gospel. So I'm a mess. God sees the mess. God changes the mess. And God turns you into something for the glory of God.